Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Neil Shorey, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Edge. I've noticed that there are moments in our lives that really, in one way or another, are just indelibly imprinted on our hearts. It almost feels like they're, they, they go all the way deep into our souls. There are moments when someone has said something to us that makes our hearts stand still because it was so incredibly meaningful. When I was uh, around 12 years old, I remember walking into my dad's home office and he turned from his computer and he said to me, Neil, I want you to know that I'll always be there for you. In your life, if you ever find yourself in trouble that you've caused or you just found yourself in a bad situation, no matter where you are in all of the world, all you have to do is call me and I'll be there. No questions asked. To this day, that was one of the most significant things, the most important things that anyone has ever said to me, to be so important to my dad that he would not only be willing to help me in bad trouble, but he would tell me the extent that he would go for me, and it was absolutely life-changing. Maybe you have a moment like that that you get to reflect on for the rest of your life, and if you do, just take a second and thank God for it. I would also bet that everybody here has heard something that was deeply wounding to them also. That thing that you can still hear today, even though it probably happened many years ago. But the pain of it just resurfaces periodically as if it was just said to you in this exact moment. I've had those too. About four years ago, while in transition out of our last church, I went to be assessed to be a church planter. And at the end of the week, one of the assessors turned and he said to me, Neil, I think that instead of planting a church, you should go into pharmaceutical sales and become a millionaire. His words hurt me deeply because I felt called to be in ministry, not to go and be a millionaire. Proverbs 16 verses 23 and 24, it says, the hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 18.21, it speaks to the two-sided potential of the words that we speak. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Really what that means is our words are either very life-giving or they have the potential to deal death blows to the people that we speak to. We're going to continue in our series today called James, the intersection of faith and life, as we continue to talk about this extremely practical side of what the faith journey with Jesus looks like. Before we continue in chapter three, I want to say a couple of things. As we go through this series, it's going to be very easy or or tempting to you to get stuck in the weeds and attempt to separate concepts of faith and works please resist that. That is only confusion that the devil wants to throw at you to get you to do one of two things, either work a lot harder or not work at all. And in either scenario, both of those things are suddenly all about you. I want to be extremely clear with you today. There is nothing that you can do to get God to love you more than he already does. Here's why. You are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift from God. And James is just explaining what 
this salvation by grace through faith looks like. And he's showing us today what living faith looks like with our words. The second thing I feel compelled to say as we go through this series is that if your, uh, your primary way of hearing this sermon series is to more closely inspect the words and the actions of others more closely, I want to say that you're missing the point of the whole series. You're, you're going to miss out on what God has to say to you specifically if you're looking at the people in front of you or behind you or beside you. I have to remind you that there is only one person that you are in charge of, and it's you. You're the only one who can change actions that you're doing with the help of the Lord. Let's go to James chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12 today. It starts off with a warning. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. In this passage, James was really swinging for the fences, leaving no stone unturned as he talks about the words that we use. And this goes against things that we were taught as little kids. You remember the saying, we all learned it, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That might work for a five-year-old hanging out with other five-year-olds, but the painful moments that stick with us most in our lives They don't tend to be the physical pains. Those often heal, but emotional pain that was brought on by careless words or even worse, purposely destructive words, those are the ones that we remember for years to come, often throughout our entire lives. So let's talk about a few things that James gets at in this passage. And here's the first idea that I believe that James would want us to to grab a hold of today, that careless words from teachers discredit our teaching. Careless words from teachers discredit our teaching. Now, in this passage, James is not specifically speaking to teachers who teach school, but in this passage, he's talking about pastors and Sunday school teachers and community group leaders. He's talking about anyone who teaches other people the story of Jesus, and he's very clear here that very few people should want to be teachers. 
Why? Because teachers will be judged more strictly. Now, some of you might be um, kind of rising up in, in church leadership and you might be thinking, oh my gosh, is, is this a warning? Is God really out to get me? No, I don't believe that James is, is trying to convey a threat from God. I think that what he's saying is that there is a weight that God places on spiritual leadership. Because when people listen to the words that we say on stage or in a community group, and then they hear us speak differently when we're quote-unquote off the clock, we are serving to actively discredit the words that we shared last Sunday. A few weeks back, I preached live and in person, and I'm still excited from it, to be honest. The difference in having people around you when you preach is entirely, it's just a completely different level of feeling. And it was amazing. And I felt awesome until I got a text from my friend Deb. And she said, Neil, it was so good to see you preach live. And then she said, just FYI, your mic is still on. I cannot tell you the level of terror that strikes the heart of any public speaker when they're told that their mic was left on. And no lie, the very first thing that I did was go to our Facebook page and I, I, I did a little rewind to listen to see if I said anything that would embarrass myself or, or bring any shame to the church. And when I didn't find anything wrong, I felt a little bit of relief, but I still knew I needed to follow up with Deb. So I texted her and I said, hey, I have to ask, did I say anything stupid? And she said, no. And I could literally breathe again. Maybe some of you are breathing a sigh of relief because you're never worried about a hot mic moment that you see politicians have or newscasters have. But I want to say this, don't relax too much because every moment of a Christian, every moment of every person who lives on this earth is ultimately a hot mic moment because even if social media doesn't catch it, even the people with smartphones, they don't catch your moment. We're warned by Jesus himself about our words and how they will be used against us. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 through, 36 through 37, it says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. That is terrifying. Every empty word, not just angry words, not just um, abusive words, but every empty word, any careless thing that you, you, you've cared to, to say to someone, any thoughtless word. We have to remember this, though. Jesus is for us. And he's saying these things to us because he wants our words. He wants our faith to align with our actions. And in this case, he wants our words to align with our faith. Our words matter and we will be held accountable for them. Here's our second point today. Loose lips sink ships. Loose lips sink ships. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. But do you know where it came from? It was used by the United States during World War II on posters. And the whole idea was it was to warn people about speaking too freely, particularly if they knew military secrets. The idea was that if people who knew where our Navy ships were located, they might speak near Japanese spies 
who would call in uh, planes to, to torpedo or, or submarines to torpedo the ships. Speaking freely isn't always a really good thing, is it? But a lot of times we feel like it's a good thing. It feels good to speak freely. It feels good to say, well, I spoke my mind. But the flip side of free speech and the flip side of speaking too freely is that there are consequences for it. I rarely will get myself in trouble when I speak less. But if I speak freely for too long, eventually I'm probably going to say something that's not very nice about another person or to another person. When I speak less, I can often be more uplifting than if I just let myself say whatever it is that comes to my mind. Gossip does not ever have a good aim, does it? It's always derogatory information and the design of gossip, even when we cloak it in spiritual language and call it a prayer concern, it's designed to tear another person down so that we feel lifted up. James likens the words that flow so carelessly out of our mouths to a spark that starts a forest fire that destroys everything in its path. Then he takes it a step farther and he says something that is terrifying. He says that this fire that comes from our mouths not only sets people on fire, but we burn ourselves in the process because the very origin of the fire is hell itself. And the one who is in hell, the one that hell was made for, the devil himself, His mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. So we shouldn't be surprised that this fire from hell that came from the devil is used to do the same thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Years ago, I remember being very immaturely impressed with a big-name Christian speaker. And he got up and he was talking about famines in Africa. And then he swore in his sermon. And he said, what's sad to me is that most of you are more angry that I swore in my sermon than the fact that there are African children going to bed tonight who won't wake up because they are starving to death. At the time, when I really look back at it, I think that I I felt like this pastor was making church more relatable to people. But today, I'm convinced that in our desire to be relatable, we're losing the light that, that has been given to us to shine in the darkness. We are called to look different. Now, we could talk all day long about what unwholesome talk looks like that the Apostle Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4. But the truth is, we don't have to look too hard because we all know when we do it. How do I know that we know that? Because we don't often say the same things around our parents that we do around our high school friends. We don't say the same things in our workplaces that we do at the game. If we have the ability to control where we say what we say, then we know there are times that we're saying things that are wrong. So don't make this too difficult for yourself. You know if it's unwholesome. The focus needs to be loving people and doing it fully with our minds, with our hearts, loving people well, and right language will come from that place. Here's our final point today. Salty words are inconsistent with our faith in Jesus. Salty words are inconsistent with our faith in Jesus. 
James says that, that out of the same mouth we praise God and then we curse people. In other words, we can go to church and we can lift our hands and we can sing songs um, about God and how excited we are to be in relationship with God. But we might go in the parking lot and tear someone down or, or, or flip them off, like whatever it is that you might do. And when we do that, we are living inconsistently, and that's a hard truth. There are all sorts of excuses. I've made them. I'm sure you have too. But he cut me off in traffic. Anybody would respond in that way. But God expects Christians to live differently. But I was raised in a home where there was coarse joking and and bad language and gossip and slander. How else would I talk? I mean, you'd do the same thing, right? The excuses are endless. But God expects something different from us when we claim the name of Jesus Christ. So what do we do here? What do we do here? We need to recognize what is actually wrong. The reason that we have an issue with what we say or what we post on social media is that we have an issue with our hearts. These are heart issues, not really mouth issues. Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 through 20, it says, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth from the heart and these things defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. I have to be real with you guys. This is probably one of the more personally convicting sermons that I've had to to preach in a long time. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that God has been dealing with me. The truth is, I, I, I've made plenty of excuses for myself. I grew up in a home, and I'll just say it like this. There was a lot of colorful language in my household when I was growing up. So it's not super surprising that when I was a young kid, I started talking like that. And I wish that it was something that just disappeared the moment I became a Christian, but it didn't. And all these years later, it's not fully gone either. I've made excuses for it over time, like we all do about our sin. And this week... I just felt a super heavy conviction as I was preparing to preach on this. And I just said, Lord, I truly need your help to to work out this issue with me. Help me be right with you. I don't want any unwholesome talk to come out of my mouth anymore, but I can't do it without you. If I try to do it without God, or if you try to do it without God, it's just symptom management and you're not dealing with your heart because it's a heart issue, not a mouth issue. I can honestly say that this week, my heart has echoed David's heart in Psalm 19 when he wrote, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I want to go back to the beginning real quick. This sermon series is not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's saying that that you should start to look different after you've received the grace of Jesus through faith. If you've never done that before, quit trying to be good and quit trying to be good enough for God. Know this, that God will give you a brand new heart if you turn away from yourself and you turn to Jesus. The prophet Ezekiel, long before Jesus came, 
He, uh, he wrote in the Old Testament and he described what this future would be like when Jesus came. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. To get that new heart, you have to do something though. And it can't be done by anyone except you. Don't focus on the person in front of you, the people beside you, or the person behind you. It can only be done by you. And this great exchange of your nature for God's nature, your pain for God's love, it's described in Acts 2.38. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a great exchange that is. Maybe today you realize that this is something that you need to work on too. You just know that you're saying things about people that are wrong or you have language that you just aren't proud of speaking around your kids and you just know that God wants you to change. I promise you, I promise you, if you turn to him and you ask for his help and and his spirit, you will not feel shame, you'll feel encouraged because when we turn from sin and we turn to him, we are never met with anything but love and support. Before we close in worship today, I want to leave you with a a couple of questions and a challenge. The first question is this. It's about your speech. What has your speech this week said to others about what you believe about them? And what does it say about what you believe about God? Is there consistency or not? The second question, what has your speech revealed to you about your heart? Think about that a little bit. Think back to conversations that you've had. And the final one, in this next week, I want to encourage you to live like this. Before you speak, ask yourself if what you're going to say is true, if what you're going to say is kind, is it necessary, is it helpful? If the answer is no, maybe what you're about to say should be left unsaid. And that's by Bernard Meltzer and the Apostle Paul from Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the reality that you are not done working in me. Even though I've been a Christian a long time, I'm a pastor. There are still things that you are working in me and through me. And I thank you for that. Father, I pray for every single person that will see this message, that they wouldn't feel shame for things that they're struggling with, but that they would lean into that struggle. And more importantly, they would lean into you. God, may our words be gracious. And may they not go against the testimony that we claim, that this faith that we have in you. May those things align and may people see your love through us, through our words and through our actions. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.